Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is sponsored by ManyTrix, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit ManyTricks, all one word, dot com slash pragmatic for more information about their apps. Butler, Chemo, Leech, Moom, Witch, Desktop, Curtain, Time Sync, Name Angler, and Usher. If you visit that URL, you can use the code PRAGMATIC25, that's PRAGMATIC, the word 25, the numbers, in the shopping cart to save 25% on any Manytrix product. We'll talk about them more during the show. I'm your host, John Chigi, and I'm joined today with my guest host, uh, Russell Ivanovic. That's how you say it, right, isn't it, Russell? I think technically for the Eastern Europeans, it's Ivanovic, but I'll, I'll accept Ivanovic. Okay, Russell Ivanovic, got it. No, I just I like to make sure I say people's names right, that's all. Because I because I got such a terrible last name and everyone gets Chigi wrong, and they insert D's and L's and e, <laughs> I don't know why, but they just do. So anyway, yeah, it kind of does feel like there needs to be a, an, an L after the G, but I shouldn't talk like Ivanovich is, is complicated <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, yes. So there you go. Last names. Um, okay, so uh, before we get stuck into today's topic, uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, say thank you to um, for some iTunes reviews, just to say hi and thank yous to Sneak J from Australia, uh, Nathan Yell 14 from the US, and Darren OY from Singapore for their lovely iTunes reviews. So thank you very much for those. Uh, anyway, the point is, and uh, that's something for you, Darren. Okay, so I specifically wanted to get you on to talk about something that it's somewhat of a rarity. I look around the the developer space, particularly the indie developer space, and and I look at people that have got essentially a foot in both camps. The the camps meaning one in, in like iOS and the Apple camp, and Android and the Google camp. And I think it's a good a good topic to explore is why people become so obsessed with one platform versus the other. And why there's resistance to supporting both, and the reasons and justifications that people seem to throw around as to why you should do one and and not the other, and I think you are the perfect man to talk to about this. Well, I can we can certainly try. I can't okay. say I'm the perfect person, but uh, you've got me. So okay, to, well we have to make do. We're going we're gonna to make do. It's fine. <laughs> it's no worries. That's all. That's all good. So okay. So how many other indie developers? That are you aware of that actually have a foot in both camps? Because I'm not aware of of any off the top of my head. Uh, I've been thinking about this actually just in the last few minutes, and I think it's only one and a half that I can think of off the top of my head. So half, okay. So the half would be Mark Edwards. I don't know if you uh, know him for yes, Django yeah, fame. Django, yes. And he has his uh, Scala preview app is is available on Android. But it's funny the only reason he has that is because he got us to build it. So. <laughs> that, that's that's why he's the half. Okay. But still, he 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 recognised at a very very early stage that, you know, there's designers on Android too, and and they benefit from his app. And the one I don't know if you know a guy called Justin Williams. Yes. Yeah. So he he's even on I don't know if he's on Windows Phone as well, but he definitely does, you know, cross platform development, and he's just like a a one man army really. Okay. But yeah, I I look out at all the other people I know, and they're either in. In the Apple camp or the the Google camp, there there doesn't seem to be much else in between. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and I, I, I sort of, I, I just okay. So, hmm, 
it's hard to know where to start this this conversation because it's a little bit circular. So, what I think I just want to, before we really start peeling it apart, is thinking about, this goes beyond just software, but we'll focus on software, obviously, because it's, you know, you and me and we're both software guys, but, um, well, I am in a sense, I don't claim to be an iOS developer, but I do write software for a living. So, anyway, point is, uh, you can, this applies across the board to all sorts of fields of of, of human endeavor, I guess, for the want of a better way of saying it. I mean, it applies to cars. Like if you're an Australian Ford versus Holden, that's one example right there. Uh, a politics, again, Labor versus Liberal, you know, or Democrat versus Republican. Soft drinks, Coke versus Pepsi. Yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If I really thought about it, I think there would be so many things where people just get invested in either a brand or in a certain viewpoint about a certain a certain platform or and, and they just, they stick with it and they justify it and they say, well, I, I, I'm sticking with this and here's my reasons. Half of the reasons aren't even logical. So anyway, so starting off with um, some of the articles you've written, because I think that one of the things that I, I enjoy reading your blog, and there'll be a link in the show notes to this, is the fact that you often take the stance of, I'm an iOS developer and I'm developing for Android. And here's actually a reality check about Android and try and put the facts on the table. And two examples that I love love recently is bug bug splitting and the Android screen fragmentation myth. Uh, Long name for an article, but very good one. (laughs) So, could I just ask what what is it that sort of compels, has compelled you to sort of put, put that out there? Uh, I think it's just my, my personality. Like it, ever since I've sort of joined the workforce, I've found that um, I, I really can't stand it when people take an opinion that they they can't justify or they use, a, you know, just common common help wisdom to, to, you know, back it up. You know, my friend said this and then I heard that and then the same saying just gets repeated over and over again. And you hear that a lot about it, Android on the Apple side. And, and to be fair, it happens the other way around too. You meet sort of hardcore Android people and they're just as... As fanatical, and I just I don't know. There's something that just rubs me the wrong way about that. Like it's it's fine to prefer one device over another. It's even fine to to prefer one company over another. But to make up all these weird and wonderful reasons, you know, why you have that preference that maybe have no basis in reality. I don't know. Something about that just irks me. And I think it's it's interesting. Like I I enjoy writing. I wouldn't say I'm I'm brilliant at it or anything like. That, but I, I do enjoy it. Like I enjoy sort of you know, writing articles and just writing sort of various things. And I kind of looked at the space and thought, everyone's writing about Apple, you know, there's there's no shortage of, of coverage and there's no shortage of good coverage, you know, it's amazing. And then there are people writing about the Android side of things as well, but it's a lot more from the perspective of, you know, new devices, new phones, new, new updates, new whatever. There's no one really sort of taking a more critical look at the, the development side of things. And that's that's kind of why I started that blog in the first place is I just wanted to... To cover that a bit more, and it it was just before we were going to Google I/O as well, so it felt like a good time to to just write about these things that that all the people I guess that I associate with have never really experienced. You know, a lot of the the iOS and Mac developers that you know I really love hanging out with. You know, great great guys and, and girls. They just they don't have experience on that side of the fence. So it's just interesting to to kind of write about it and explain the differences and even some of the things that when you find out about how the other side works, it can make you reflect you know, on how the way things work on the Apple side. And you, you start to think, oh, wouldn't it be great if, you know, this worked like that? Or if they, in this aspect, they could be a bit more like Google. And in this aspect, it's kind of nice that they're not like Google. And kind of to 
to get the best best of both worlds, I guess. Was that the longest answer ever to a to a very simple question? <laughs> I don't think that that was necessarily a simple question, and I'm glad that you sort of went to that depth. The 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 for me, what I I think is so refreshing about it is that it you tend to put the facts on the table and say a perfect example is the screen fragmentation myth because everyone will say, well, all these phones are different sizes. Well, well yes, but that doesn't mean that they're all different resolutions, which is what you you know mainly are concerned about, I would expect. And then if you break that down, it turns out that there's actually not that much variability when you consider the layout tools that you've got and you can you can specify and this is a bit you should be talking about because I'm, I'm i'm now <laughs> repeating back to you what you've written down <laughs> in your article but you know what i mean <clears throat> so you know for, for that specific case it's really not that much extra work this is me again paraphrasing you but it doesn't sound like it isn't an extra lot of that much extra work and it's a bunch of xml files i think you say in the um i haven't actually used it so i'm again just yeah so is, yeah. it, it's not that much extra work, really, is it, to support those screen sizes? No, it's it's the one thing every time we tell someone that we do Android, and they're like, oh, you know, how do you deal with all those different screen sizes? And that's that's actually one of the easiest parts of, of Android development. And that's not me sort of being a fanboy or trying to exaggerate. There's there's work involved, obviously. If there was only one screen size, it would be less work than if there was five. But the fact is when you have, you know, five or six screen sizes, and they're not, they don't vary by that much. You know, there's maybe 40 pixels on the right there might be you know 40 pixels on the bottom or whatever it's not it's not a huge variation to have to deal with and the the tools that google have kind of built into android from day one have always catered for that you know they knew there was going to be different screen sizes so they built it in from day one so it's it's funny i find as a as i mainly do ios development you know i do a little bit of android but ios is the main thing that i do i find that as more and more screen sizes gathered to ios it's actually harder to support it on there because it wasn't sort of built in from day one and i think a lot of people don't realize that they think, oh, the hardest thing about supporting Android is the screen size. It's not. It's it's the variation in in software and and the sort of low level, you know, device drivers and hardware and people tweaking their phones. That's where Android fragmentation really starts to, to I guess, rear its ugly head. But screen sizes is really not an issue. Like it's it's not a hard thing to support. It's built into the language. It's built into like all the tools, and it's it's the one myth that really bugs me. That's that's what people think is hard about Android development. It's it's really not. I guess it's easy to, to latch onto because it's very visible. And you say, well, this person's got a, a Galaxy Note with a however big that screen is, and this other person has a you know significantly smaller one or whatever. And it's visually easy for the for for a person to say, well, you know, all the iPhones are the same size and these are all different. So therefore that's a problem. And it's very straightforward. But the thing that you just brought up as well about the versions and the hacking, I'm curious to talk a little bit more about that too, because when you're designing for iOS, generally because Apple's updates are much easier for people to get their hands on, they therefore be and and of course you know there there's no carrier required. People can download them over the air nowadays. I mean, mind you, you rewind a few years ago and you couldn't, but now you can at least. And um, people are therefore generally, if you look at the stats, I I didn't look at the stats beforehand, but you know it's it's quite high as the number of people that are actually on iOS seven right now. I think it was like eighty nine percent or ninety percent or something. Yeah, I, you would know more than I would, and I think that that's that's a testament to the fact that Apple have got that aspect of it at least nailed. But that's an advantage, sure, because you don't have to worry so much about supporting iOS six, iOS you know five, or God forbid iOS four. Um, <laughs> and 
there's a bunch of functionality that you're going to use in iOS 7 that's not available in those other ones. How does it compare then with, you know, going back to, well, let's see, what's the most popular on Android? It's 2.3, I think, statistically. Uh, I'm not sure what those, those figures are. Maybe you would uh, know. It's historically, uh, four and above is, is by far the most popular device sort of at the moment. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It's it's a double-edged sword because on the Apple side of things, it's it's really amazing that we were able to launch... Uh, like Pocket Cast version four for an OS that was only just going to be released, you know, on the uh, a day or two before we actually launched the application. You know, that's you'd never be able to do that on Android. Obviously, that's that's just an impossibility. But the the double-edged sword part is that um, that Google is aware of of that issue and they build in a lot of backwards compatibility libraries. So let let's say there's some new feature, you know, coming out in Android 4.4 or or 5.0 or whatever. Nine times out of ten, they'll actually put that same feature in a support library that you can backport. You know, all the way to, to 2.3 if you you're really that insane. Yeah. And it it's funny the the Apple the Apple attitude is very much you know when we came to do our update for Pocket Weather for example we wanted to make it six and seven compatible. We thought well there's no reason to go iOS seven only. We shouldn't have to force you know people with older devices to update. But it proved so hard to try and support you know both in the same space to try and deal with all the things that were iOS seven only. You know some of those things if you if you adopt them, you can no longer even build your app for iOS 6. It just becomes a, an impossibility. And it's and Apple's attitude has always been, uh, why do you bother? You know, iOS 7 is going to be adopted by 90% of people. Just just take iOS 7. You know, don't bother. And they don't bother building that uh, backwards compatibility sort of side of it at all. And that that more often than not is a good thing. But it can it can come back to burn you as well. Like we've had a lot of people, you know, on the old pocket where they're saying I, I can't update. You know, I've got a 3GS or I've got a yeah iPhone 4 and I've heard that iOS 7 is slow and I don't want to update and yeah, we exactly. we can't do anything for these people I just had to say look you know it would have taken me two or three months worth of development to support both we made a business decision to go with iOS 7 you know only and that that hurt us a little bit but it's just the nature of things like on on the Google side of things they're they're a lot more I guess conscious of backwards compatibility and they've they've started doing something interesting over the last year or so is they have this thing called Google Play services I don't know if you've heard of that yeah, I have heard of it, but tell me more. So I think originally it just started as a library where they could put a few uh, sort of common things that they wouldn't have to, to ship with the OS, basically. And it's it's kind of blown out like every month, like something something new they'll add to Android. They won't actually add it to the core Android operating system. They'll stick it in this Google Play services thing. And that's that's something that they update monthly just through the store and you know roll it out to all the devices. And that's where they're starting to put a lot of their backwards compatibility stuff and a lot of their new features. So you'll find that even going to something like Android L, almost everything in Android L is, sits inside that Google Play Services library. So even if someone was to run you know, an Android 4.0 device, you'd still be able to get a lot of that stuff. You don't get everything. It's not a magical you know, fairyland. Some of the new animation stuff is, is not in there, and there's a few other things that, that aren't in there. But it's not always about you know, having the pain of, oh, I must have this feature from Android 4.4, and I can't, I can't do it otherwise. Like We haven't found a lot of issues. We found that once... Android went to version four. That's when things started to get good. Like we don't support uh, two point three at all. Like it's just right. it's really not worth the headache. That's the Android two days was really the wild west. That's when manufacturers like HTC they just went to town. Like on all the the hardware drivers and all the software stuff, and including their own sort of libraries that that used to conflict with ours. And it, that was a nightmare. If you want to talk about what what a nightmare that was, you know, if you try and support Android two point three, then I take my hat off to you. Well, see, that's actually a really good point to um, to expand on because I think that a lot of the momentum behind 
the resistance to developing for Android started back in the Wild Wild West days of the of of uh, two point well two point X of Android, and a lot of that has perpetuated. It's it has it's built up a momentum, and people keep on referring back to that and saying, well, yeah, but you know, Android's got this and that. It's so far behind. It's really not well. Um, it hasn't been well implemented or it looks it looks you know cheap or whatever else but if you pick up a, a, a phone running 2.3 and a phone running 4. Point, well so we're up to um 4.4 now i think yeah 4.4 is the latest one it's chalk and cheese even from the same manufacturer it's chalk and cheese and you know it's people cl- seem to cling on to the way it used to be as a justification for continuing to ignore android which is kind of a bit dis- disappointing yeah, so, yeah, definitely. It definitely suffers that whole first impression type thing. I think the problem is when Android started to get popular was when it was at its worst, I guess. And and all yeah. it was in the 2.0 days, please please don't email me, but it was it was more <laughs> just an alternative to the iOS side of things. Yeah, and it wasn't even a good alternative. I'm, I'm sorry, but until Android got to 4, like it really wasn't even worth considering as like like a competitor to the iPhone in in my opinion anyway. Feel free to, to email John if you don't agree, but... Yeah, email me, why not? <laughs> but, you know, you'd go to the store and it'd just be full of spam and every single comment was like spam links and it it was, yeah, it was amazingly bad. And what happened is Google employed, you know, people to actually clean up the Google Play Store. You go there these days and it's a really sort of professional, sort of well-run store. They managed to convince a lot of the hardware manufacturers to scale back on their their crazy things that they sort of bundled with the OS and you find a lot a lot of what they do these days is someone like a Samsung or an LG they've kind of stopped modifying the core OS and they've just started adding their own you know extras on top like Samsung has all that swipe gesture stuff and look away from the video and it pauses and as useful or as useless as you think those things may be as a developer they no longer hurt us you know if Samsung implements some you know swipe gesture thing it doesn't affect us at all like as as app developers whereas when they used to actually mess with the core OS and especially some of the audio playback stuff, which they all used to get in there and do for some reason. That That's a nightmare to support that sort of stuff. It feels very much based on everything that you're saying and that I've read and watched over the last few years is that Google really has been playing catch-up on in terms of how do they actually take a product like Android when they bought it and turn it into an actual platform and essentially learning all the lessons that Microsoft did uh, in the last 20 years, and they've sort of been going through it in the last three or four years, uh, I would say, uh, as Android's become more popular. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I'd definitely say so. There, there seem to be, and this is all me sort of looking from the outside in. I don't I don't know anyone sort of deep at the heart of Google. Me and, me and Larry and, and Sergey aren't sort of best friends or whatever. So Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, we only hang out for coffee like once a year when I come oh, to San well, Francisco. Yeah. So it's I wouldn't really call it a friendship. We're not, you know, <laughs> Facebook buddies or whatever, but it's it looks to me like when they they first launched it, it was just you know, let's put this OS out there. Let's try and make sure that we don't become irrelevant in the the mobile era of things, but it seemed to be run by a separate part of Google that was hardly connected to the rest of Google at all. And they kind of forged their own path and they they ceded a lot of control to manufacturers and to you know, carriers in turn and all that sort of thing. And I mean, some people would argue that they had to do that to become popular. You know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, who knows, but that's the direction they went in. And you can see a few years down the track that they started to realize that this was really going to burn them when Mm. Samsung has all the market share and they have all the control over your platform and you have virtually none and you don't charge for your OS and you can't necessarily back then, you couldn't even mandate that they, 
you know, used your apps or whatever. That's that's where they started to sort of turn the screws and realize that they needed to be smarter about the way they actually ran this as a platform. And and sort of from, from two years ago to now, you can see a real change in the way uh, Google's been developing and, you know, pushing out Android to the various manufacturers. They've really started to, to I guess, wrench the control back. Like as much yeah. as someone like Gruber, Gruber likes to poke it, you know, haha, open source. The Android is no longer really an open source OS. Like you no. do have the open source project and no. yeah, the majority of the code is in there. But all the stuff that makes Android Android is, is now proprietary to Google. You know, all the Google apps, uh, yeah. all the, the drivers that go on top of that. It's it's all stuff that Google now has control over. And they can go to a manufacturer and say, hey, if you want to call this an Android device and if you want to use our apps, you have to meet all these other standards. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where they've been sort of leveraging the leveraging the synergy or whatever you want to call it. Oh, no. Use the S word. <laughs> I said <But> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. And they have taken that control back, and that's uh, that has directly driven the improvement of the quality of of Android overall. So, I think that one of the one of the things I just want to sort of quickly explore is the from a psychological point of view when people uh, have a belief about a platform or or or. or a, or a device or something like, you know, like I said, the whole Ford versus Holden, Coke versus Pepsi, whatever, you know, or in this case, Android versus iOS, is, um, you know, you, you've got this this uh, motivated reasoning issue, which is uh, I'm an iOS developer, let's say. I've um, cut my teeth on Objective-C for years, let's say, on the Mac, I've switched over to iOS, or I'm learning it iOS because of the runaway success of, of Apple's platform and the early days of the App Store, let's say. And I'm I'm motivated essentially to continue to become more invested in this ecosystem. Therefore, I am going to justify uh, beyond you know ration rationale and logic. I'm going to now justify why I am not going to explore Android. And you then that then becomes a continual a reinforcement process such that the more you justify it, the less likely you are to explore it. Therefore the more justified you feel in ignoring it. And it's it's like having a willing blind spot. There's an alternative to, to iOS, but I am willingly not looking at it. Yeah, and I think the majority of people that do this don't necessarily even realize what's happening. Because what, what happens is this is, I guess, a psychological thing. Like you, someone hands you an Android phone, right? And your only experience is with an iPhone. So immediately everything that is different, everything that you can't figure out in the first second, you put that down to bad design. You're like, ah, I can't figure out how to do X, therefore this phone is is designed wrong. And all, when you boil it down to it, all you're really saying is this does not work like an iPhone. And the things that I expect on the iPhone that this doesn't do exactly the same are wrong. And it's it's an interesting kind of attitude. And you see, even when people cover the Android side of things, and even people like as smart as, you know, John Gruber and people like that, you can see when they cover that side of things there's just a massive blind spot that these guys have because they maybe spend like a week with OS or they they read some articles and they they just kind of have that background of you know they they're people that have sort of surrounded themselves you know with Apple and the culture of Apple for so long that 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 almost becomes a lens I guess that they view the rest of the world through yes. and there definitely is a world view that goes goes with the Apple ecosystem you know and I I was definitely into that as well I got my first um uh, laptop I think it was a PowerBook G4, yep, one of the aluminium ones. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, that thing was hot enough to fry like eggs and bacon on on the back of it when you were doing anything. <laughs> but I love the thing; it was amazing. You know, it was it was shiny, it was aluminium, and it had iPhoto. And mm. for a few years, I was just of the opinion that everything that Apple did was was just amazing. You know, they could do absolutely no wrong. But yeah. you 
you start to sort of step back a little bit and I guess developing on the Android side of things and working with Google has kind of shown us that Apple are just a company. You know, it's it's not a religion, it's not a sports team, it's not a it's it's not a brand of car that you have to love like no matter what. They do good things and they do bad things. And I feel like when you're as enthusiastic about technology as I am, you're kind of limiting yourself if you only ever look at the things that Apple builds. You know, other people yeah. build cool things too. Absolutely. You know, they, they don't always look the same, they don't always work the same, but it doesn't mean they're not cool. I tend to, absolutely right, and I, I tend to um, look at technology because uh, I've been using, uh, uh, let's see, I've, I use Palm Pilots, I used a, a Windows CE on a Cassiopeia many years ago. Yeah, I had um, both of those. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I love my, <laughs> I love my Cassiopeia. Um, mind you, compared to uh, like an, an iPhone or an, or an Android, anything these days, it's, oh God, I used to like that. But anyway, it was cool at the time. Yeah, even the, the palm with its graffiti thing. I'm like, this graffiti thing is awesome. I know, I know. But really, I mean, there's I, nothing more awesome than... <laughs> I Sorry. know, I hate graffiti. I loved graffiti at the time, but geez, I hate it now. And <laughs> uh, anyway, never mind that. Uh, but yeah, so the thing is that I tend... I've, I've become very invested in Apple. And I say that because... Uh, I've become locked in a bit to their ecosystem. So I mean, I use iTunes for everything. I've got I use Pages and Numbers. Although I do still have uh, Microsoft Office uh, because I need to have that for work purposes. You know, I, I find myself leaning more towards the simplicity of the of the Pages and the Numbers. And that's all you know. That's all well and good. But you know, it's more more platform lock in. Yes, I can actually go and access through a web browser. And and work on you know pages documents and numbers documents in a web browser on an on win, on a uh, on a Chromebook or on a on a Dell or whatever running Windows. That's no that's no problem. It, that that's true. But in terms of native support, you know, it's, it's not as good as a native as a, a native app. But anyway, so I've got iPhone. I've got an iPad. You know, my kids have got iPads. My wife's got a MacBook Air now. Yeah, I'm in, heavily invested in Apple. So again, you know, Apple love me, and I keep giving them money. But and here's the but. At some point, there will be a compelling functionality of some kind. I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to try and guess or predict. But at some point, there's going to be something that's going to draw me away from that. And it's going to be so good and so much more advanced in some respect that I'm going to say, right, that's it. Um, It's time for me to shake it up and move on to the next big thing. So I find myself at the moment with Apple, I'm still very impressed with the iPhone. I have played with Android devices a few times, but they haven't had that thing, that feature that I'm that I'm looking for that's like... This is the next thing that's going to make my life so much easier. I need to, I need to have that, and then it's worth the pain of withdrawal of switching from one to the other. At least that's that's my position anyway. I guess a justification, yeah, if you like. I'm actually in virtually the same place. So, same thing like MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, Apple TV, Mac Mini running my television. My whole house is full of Apple products. Mm. It's just funny. Like the the phone that I choose to use though is the the Moto X. And it, yeah. it is the first sort of Android phone that I've played with that I actually prefer to the iPhone. You know, I like the the screen size. It's a 4.7 inch, which is mm-hmm. what the next iPhone, I guess, is rumored to be. But we'll sorry. see. <coughs> but it, um, it's just nice. It, it's got these little features like when it's Bluetooth connected to my watch, I can tell it, hey, if the watch is in range, don't lock the, the phone. So I get like one press access to, to my phone without having to put in my PIN number. I get lots of little features that, that this thing does that an iPhone doesn't do. And it's not... It's not mind-blowingly different. You know, a lot of the same apps that I use on iOS are, are here as well. And a lot of them have, like, really good equivalents. But there are some things that I miss. So things like iMessage, you know, really annoying because yeah. my entire family and sort of extended friends are all on iMessage. And the first question you get is, you know, why did your why did your thing turn blue? I mean, green. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're, 
there's differences on both sides, but that's just the phone that I choose to use. And I, I find it really weird when people are like, oh, why do you, why do you use that phone? Like, why don't why don't you keep your iPhone? It's just, you mm. know, I want to play with new stuff and I like this one better. See, I get the reverse of that. I go into work and I'm surrounded by other engineers that have all got Android phones. And they're like, oh, look, John's still on an iPhone. <laughs> and I'm like, F you guys, whatever, you know. But um, before we go any further, I just want to quickly talk about a sponsor for this episode, which is uh, ManyTricks. Uh, and Matrix are a great software development company whose apps do, well, you guessed it, many tricks. Their apps include Butler, Chemo, Leech, Moom, Witch, Desktop Curtain, TimeSync, Name Angler, and Usher. There's so much to talk about for each of these apps. So what we're going to do is I'll focus on a different one each week. And this week, we're going to talk about Usher. Now, Usher is your personal movie assistant. What does that mean exactly? Well, Usher can access every video stored in iTunes, Aperture, iPhoto, or any connected hard drives on your Mac allows you to easily group, sort, tag, and organize them all in the one app. So, Usher can identify video using Amazon property information, supports playlists, and smart playlists as well. If it plays in QuickTime, Usher can play it directly, or if you install Perian or Flip for Mac, it can play even more. There's no need to convert anything into an iTunes format, in air quotes, uh, in order to watch it. Leveraging some of the same technology that drives Name Mangler, which is another one of my favorite apps I've talked about previously, also by many tricks, it allows complex file renaming using that metadata from within Usher. You don't even have to leave the app to do it if you want to fix up file names and stuff. It's great. Honestly, there's so much that Usher can do. If you've got a video collection that's scattered across different programs and drives, like I do, then Usher can help straighten it all out. If you haven't tried it, download the trial and have a play with Usher yourself. You can download that free trial uh, from many tricks or one word dot com slash usher u s h e r and you can try it out for yourself. If you do happen to fall in love with it, it is available from that page or through the Mac App Store for twenty five U S. And if you visit that URL before the seventeenth of August, so there's still a few days to go, you can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps exclusively for pragmatic listeners. Simply use Pragmatic Twenty Five. That's Pragmatic then the numbers two five in the discount code box in the shopping cart, and you'll receive twenty five percent off. This offer is only available to pragmatic listeners for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Thank you to Many Tricks for sponsoring Pragmatic. Okay, Russell. So. One of the things that we've sort of we've touched on a little bit is, um, well, the advantages and disadvantages of each platform. In your experience and in your specific experience, which platform did you go with first? And can you tell me a little bit about what attracted you to the other platform and how long that gap was between you went on one platform before then adding the next one? I assume you're talking about mobiles, is that? I'm talking about, yes, I'm talking about mobile, yes. I'm talking about um, Android and iOS. And if I remember correctly, uh, two of your apps are, are on both platforms. I think there's uh, Pocket Weather and Pocket Cast. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, which is the only two apps we make these days. So, Well, yes, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so we went to the iPhone first. And the reason for that is, I guess, it was a really exciting platform. Back in 2008, you know, um, Apple released you know ios 2.0 with with the app store and, and back yep. then there was no sort of amazing success stories there was no angry birds you know, none of that stuff existed but no. for the first time in in basically you know forever uh, there was finally a way to get applications onto a mobile phone that was really easy and and i guess pain-free you know we'd me personally i'd played around with i don't know if you remember j2me and all these other sort of solutions for yes for building apps so back then you could make an app and then you could maybe get people to download it 
you know, from your website, and you can maybe have 10 different versions of it, and you can maybe convince some manufacturer to bundle it. And But basically, as a developer, you're always on the, the back foot. There was no easy way to get applications onto people's phones, and there wasn't even, you know, phones that were that amazing that you could write, you know, really good in-depth applications for. So anyway, long story short, um, I've got a brother-in-law who's, who's an awesome guy, and um, we decided to import some, some iPhones from the US, you know, when the original iPhone came out in the US and it wasn't in Australia I, oh, I convinced I him to to buy nine of them from the US and we imported them you know one by one uh, sort of into Australia and we, we got to keep two out of that whole sort of deal like we sold the rest to to friends and people on eBay and um, we managed to pay for the the two that we had and it hmm. was just fascinating you know I never had anything another phone like it like it was just amazing the whole experience is from the time you turned it on to like many hours later I was just flicking through you know all the different applications and all the different sort of uh, things that were going on and I, I was sold and I guess when it came time for the app store to come out um, that's the logical place that you know we started and we were there for I think 2008 2009 2010 it was probably about 2010 that we tried our first Android app and the the way that actually came about was quite funny because by 2010 sort of 2011 we started to get a lot of requests you know can you make pocket weather for android you know why is pocket weather not on android do you guys not like android and we didn't like android um and what happened is we gave people three reasons we said look uh currently australian developers are not allowed to sell paid applications google play that was yep, that was a restriction right. back then remember that um we said look we're not going to spend 800 dollars on a phone if we don't know that we're going to make that 800 dollars back so that's you know point number two and point number three i can't remember there was some other restriction that would basically stop us from from putting pocket weather on android and uh, i kid you not within a month uh google had figured out a way for you know australian developers to sell apps in the store they'd done all those agreements you know with various um companies and governments and then uh someone actually mailed us a brand new android phone in a box you know wow. kind of express post turned up to our office it was it was a bit of a surprise and here was this sort of android phone so Can i guess it was who, really... who was who, who did that who sent that to you i wish i knew the guy's name it was a user on whirlpool Okay. If, he, if he's listening, I'm really sorry that I forgot your name. But he was a really great guy. You know, he was really active in the the Whirlpool community. And those guys, I know they often get called Winchpool in Australia, and it's a bit of a funny <laughs> joke. But there's there's really a good community of of people on there. And they started running polls and and petitions, and they were all trying to push us into Android development. So mm-hmm. it wasn't even really our initiative to to get on the platform. It was, I guess, our customers pushing us into it of of all things, which is quite unusual. And you know, they mailed us a phone, and we we thought we'd try it. And we, you know, initially we kind of made the mistake of just porting, you know, our iOS versions to Android. And I guess they quickly let us know that, you know, we appreciate the efforts, but this is not really what Android is all about. And ever since then, we've kind of, you know, we got more into it. We got to a point where um, everything that people said about Android turned out to be true for us. We made, back then we made no money on there. You know, the the support and the fragmentation was, was horrific. And it was just a bad experience. And we came... We came time to build the next version of Pocket Casts, and we looked at it and we thought, we can either abandon this and just say, look, everything we thought about Android was true. Here's the proof. We ported our iOS apps. Hardly anyone bought them. People on Android don't buy apps. But I don't know. We had this crazy sort of stubbornness that we decided, no, let's let's do the exact opposite of, of what the conventional wisdom is. Let's build uh, from the ground up. You know, Pocket Casts for for Android first. Let's launch it there first. Let's build just for that platform. Let's build natively to that platform, so no sort of code um, ported from the other one. Let's do a design that's that's native to that platform. And we spent, 
oh gosh, three, four, five, maybe even six months building this. That was a long time for yeah. you know Philip and I to invest into this one thing that there was there was literally no indication whatsoever that we were ever going to see any of our money back. But I guess we just had a hunch, and maybe it was like me pushing it a bit more at that time. But I said, let's try this. You know, it's a it's a good thing to try. People on Android are always telling us how you know, how passionate they are about their platform and how disappointed they are when all these apps go, you know, iOS first and, you know, don't they care about us and don't they sort of want our money? And so we thought, okay, let's give them what they want. Let's go Android first. Let's build like a native experience for Android. And let's actually put the time in required to make, you know, an amazing app. And the response was absolutely amazing. So version four of Pocket Cast on Android just sold like like hotcakes, like it was amazing. We'd never seen sort of anything like it, even on the iOS side of things. And I think to this day, it still outsells the iOS version about four to one. You know, it was an wow. amazing sort of success story on that platform. And uh, people to this day still tell us that apparently we're the exception. Um, I don't know how true that is, but from our own experiences, that's what really, you know, cemented us in sort of sticking with that platform. So these days, okay. you know, I do 100% of our iOS development and maybe sort of 10 or 15% of our Android stuff. And then Philip... Um, who runs the business with me? He does all the, you know, the the main sort of guts of the Android development, and he does all the server side of things as well. So we find, as a company of two developers, that's that's kind of a good split. Like we we can be on both yeah. platforms because we've got two people who, you know, who can who can code on both, and it's not really much of an overhead. You know, one of us deals with one side of it, and one of us mainly deals with the other side of it, and it's it seems like a good mix. Okay. No, that's yeah, that is a good mix. I like that approach. It's uh, it means that one of you can step into the other's shoes and work on the other platform as as required due to you know if there's a surge in you know of coding load or something and you need to take care of it. And that that's that's good. Yeah, and it's it's fun because uh, historically, like Philip and I haven't been able to work on the same code base. Like when we built Pocket Weather, I built the entire iPhone app and he built the entire server infrastructure, and neither of us really knew how to. Uh, to modify the other parts like we're both obviously programmers and we've been doing this for a while so we could probably you know learn but this is the first time we've actually got to you know to be in the same code base which is a lot of fun like i can't do a lot of the user interface stuff on android that that philip can but when it comes to the the lower level code like it's often helpful just to go hey you know can you come and have a look at this or you know what do you think about the way i've done this and when if we find when you get two people involved the code just gets so much better like it's not like we sit at the same desk and you know, code on half the keyboard each or anything like that. But yeah. it, it is a massive sort of improvement when you get stuck on something and you can just call someone else over who's, you know, familiar with with how the platform works and they just go, oh, look, just move this there and have you thought of this? And bang, within five minutes, you know, you've, you've solved your problem. Okay. And I've really enjoyed it. I have to be honest. There's a That's the other thing about the Apple community. They're really down on, on Java as a language, which is the native language of, yeah. of Android. And I think a lot of that is because of the... And the way Java kind of made its way into user interfaces on various desktop systems, you know, there was Swing, which was kind of the Java uh, UI toolkit, and that, you know, was kind of hailed as this is the one platform that will run everywhere, and it was really led to a lot of terrible, terrible, terrible user interfaces. And I think that again is the impression Apple people have of the the Java language as a whole. Whereas really, you know, as an actual language, it's it's really good. Like yeah. I, I'm not ashamed to say that. I know a lot of people sort of look down on it and they're like, ah. Oh, you know, Java very funny, but it's it's a powerful language for building, you know, applications in. Yeah, I uh, I kind of have a a love hate thing with Java. I mean, I I, I, I ha- see its good points, but at the same time, there's, there's certain things about it that irritate me. But then that's probably just the fact that I've spent far more time programming in C, 
and you know i'm just i'm just used to that and it's it's the same and, and it's funny you know because that that's that's part of the whole point of, of this discussion is you know it's what i'm used to it doesn't mean that java is actually worse it just means that it's different and it's a matter of getting my head around you know its differences and sort of being happy about the the good parts about it because there are better parts about java over c or objective c or or swift i suppose even now but um you know, people just choose to look at all the things that they don't like about it and just write it off. Yeah, which, you know, yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, the same is true of Objective-C. Like, a lot of developers look down and they're like, oh, square brackets and this and that, isn't that <laughs> terrible? And I have to admit, when I first learned Objective-C, I'm like, this is the Stone Age. You know, alloc, release, oh, you know, no auto-release. And I was just like, what yeah. is this? Like, manual memory sort of management. But I spent about a month with the language and I, I kind of came to love that as well. Like, it's... It's really flexible. Like you've got the categories, which is where you can kind of extend classes on the fly, and you've got all these different sort of dynamic things that you can do. And it's a, it's a lower level language, so it runs a lot faster as well. And it's, mm. you know, I've kind of fallen in love with with that language as well. And I kind of like to to switch between the two camps just because they are, you know, two nice languages to work with. And I don't know how much of that is. You know, I've done Java for fifteen years, and you know, I know it inside out. And maybe that's the only reason I like it. Who knows? And maybe the only reason I like Objective C is because you know, I've worked with that for five years. It's impossible to know whether, you know, one informs the other or the other way around. Who knows? I don't care. Like mm. they're both you know, decent <laughs> languages to work in. Well, that's that's that, that's where we have to come 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 back to is the fact that both of these both of these camps have both got their pros and cons, and it shouldn't all just be one way or the other. And honestly, our own cognitive bias based on our own experience, you know, mix in a little bit of motivated reasoning behind, you know, I'm motivated to, you know, champion one platform because of my background and, and where I'm personally invested or professionally invested. Uh, and, and even a bit of brand loyalty. It's like, oh, Apple can do no wrong or, or Google is, is, is the best search engine in the world. Therefore, everything I do is awesome or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what the chanting line is um, for, for the Google side of the fence. The Apple one is um, it just works, right? So, um, but yeah, whatever the Google equivalent of the, that is. But it, it comes back to there will always be pros and cons um, irrespective of what platform you're talking about. And it's a matter of being honest with yourself and and giving the alternatives a chance. And I, I think it's fascinating just quickly circling back. It, it four, four is to one ratio between the two platforms where... You know, four times what was on on iOS in terms of uh, sales on Android. That, that that's amazing. And if even if you are the exception, let, let's assume you're the exception, and the the an average an average. Okay, <laughs> how do I say this without sounding mean and horrible? Let's just say um, for the majority of people developing, then perhaps a realistic figure would at least be a one as to one relationship i think that yeah if four is to one is amazing then maybe one is to one is realistic and if that is realistic then that is a massive potentially massive market that people are willingly ignoring or choosing not to see well it's, it's actually um it's worse than that even because the the thing about android is that um if we're being completely open and honest is that there still are not the level of high quality applications that you get on iOS. So you look at something like iOS and if every single category of app, there's one or two just standard apps that are just, you know, these apps are absolutely amazing. They're built really solidly. The user interface is really nice. And in Android, you get that in, in some categories, but the overall quality is lower. So our other part of the thinking of going to Android first is actually easier to stand out on that platform. So sure. the original version of Pocket Cast 4, as good as it was, you know, it still wasn't, 
you know the best app in the world in its category but it stood out because it was just so much better than you know everything else that was kind of built by you know enterprise java developers and everyone else who's kind of tends to fluctuate sorry gravitate to towards android and it's it's interesting like you see a lot of ios developers at the moment complaining about you know revenue and how hard it is to succeed in the app store and it is it is very hard oh yeah but a lot of those guys they just write off android they're like well you, you can make even less money on there and I don't know that they've got any sort of stats to back that up. I don't know that they've even, you know, thought that through. But to my thinking, and I'm not sure we even want to give out the secret because it's it's our little secret. But it's actually <laughs> far, it's a far easier place to to stand out and, and do well because the overall quality is so much lower. You know, yeah. we can we can put six months of effort into something and we can be the best, you know, in our category. I mean, good good luck doing that on iOS and not being superseded. You know, two or three weeks later. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Exactly. And uh, one of the other things I'm curious about just while we're on that topic is, uh, do you notice that the um, that the spike uh, on the on Android sales, uh, was it of a similar um, similar duration? Like uh, the spike, was it uh, obviously it was higher, but did it last for as long or was it longer or shorter just relative terms? Because well, everyone that's... talks about that surge, right? That initial yeah, surge. Yeah, yeah. So I know a lot of guys like Marco and a lot of other developers. They talk about you get launch day sales and then you get ongoing sales, and your ongoing sales are so much lower than your launch day ones. Um, we don't, we don't really get that. Like that's not been our experience. And maybe it's because we don't have as much exposure out front, and we don't have, you know, I don't have fifty thousand people following on Twitter and two hundred fifty thousand reading my people reading my blog. Maybe I don't get that initial surge but our ongoing sales especially on android have been really uh, solid and flat so if if maybe on launch day we did you know x amount ongoing we probably just did x divided by two like okay, just completely yeah. ongoing it wasn't like a a graph that just kind of trails down to to almost zero if you plot it out it was more just like a spike and then a little dip and then just an ongoing sort of level of sales and that that could be unique to making a podcasting app on android i mean who knows i don't I don't really oh, have sure. the data to back that up. I know that Pocket Weather Australia on Android has, has sold nowhere near as well. Mm-hmm. And so you could argue that if you're making an Australian-only app, like iOS is, is still the place to be. Or maybe we didn't do a good enough job. I mean, it's, it's impossible to know. I know that Pocket Cast has sold amazingly well, and that's a worldwide app that obviously is designed for listening to podcasts. And Pocket Weather Australia, which is an Australian-only Android app, has sold nowhere near as well you know, as, as its iOS counterpart. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the shape of that, uh, the sales spike and the ongoing sales relative on the two platforms, um, would you say it's a similar shape spike for the po- Pocket Weather versus uh, Pocket Casts, or is it, so? Would you say X X on two after a period of t- after the initial surge, or no? It's probably a little bit lower. It's probably like X divided right. by four or something like that. So it's probably more okay, typical right. of an iOS. A style graph that we see like for example when we launched Pocket Cast 4 on iOS there was a you know a massive amount of press and a massive amount of articles and that was a huge spike for three or four days and then it definitely sure. sort of trailed off after that so maybe that's more typical of the iOS platform I don't I don't know yeah, one of the uh, arguments leveled at the App Store is the way they handle their top lists. And I'm not immediately familiar, because I'm not an Android user, how that's handled and whether or not you get more visibility in top lists uh, because you're getting consistent downloads or because, uh, as you suggested, that uh, the average uh, quality of apps in the Android uh, market is uh, is not quite as high, perhaps. But I guess, so in terms of visibility on their app market, App Store... 
are you getting that same level of visibility um, um, on Android? Yeah, I know what you're saying. IOS? So the way the Apple one works, roughly speaking, is it's a three-day rolling average of sales. So if you're currently selling well, then you're going to appear in the top list. And as soon as you stop selling well, you're just going to drop out of there and and kind of disappear forever. The way it works on Android, I've, I've never been able to figure out. It seems to be based on... <laughs> I don't know, people actually opening your app, perhaps? I'm not sure. We, we've seen times when we've sold worse than the competitors and actually been above them. And I'm not sure mm. how on earth Google figures that out. And I, I think um, I think developers put way too much emphasis on those top lists. Like these days, we don't even... I wouldn't have a clue, and I'm not trying to be humble or anything. I have no idea where any of our apps rank in any of the top lists. Like I, I imagine Pocket Weather would still be in the top 100 you know, in Australia like it always has been, but... I literally have no idea. I don't know if it's number four and whether I don't know if it's number one because I think a lot of developers were kind of spoilt by the early days where Apple was giving them the majority of the promotion. You know, you'd release a new application yeah. to a store of a few thousand, you'd go into the new apps, then you'd go into the top charts, and that would just kind of perpetuate itself. Whereas now you have a, a million applications, you know, in the store and, and good luck getting into those charts, never mind, um, you know, having Apple kind of do the promotion for you. And I think that's... That's caused a lot of developers to look at that and go, oh, well, Apple should get rid of the top charts and they should do more features. And, and yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, they, they could do all that. But I, I think it's no longer up to Apple to do our promotion for us. That that really has to be something that comes back on the developer. You know, you these days you have to make an amazing application, but then you need to do the other 50% of the work on how you're going to get people to find this application. You know, is it, is it going to be mm. covered by, you know, X, Y, and Z site? Is it going to be word of mouth? How are you going to try and run... Uh, some kind of promotion. It's, I think it's almost lazy from a developer point of view to go, you know, I'm an indep independent developer. I do amazing work, and therefore Apple has let me down when my app doesn't sell. You know, it's it's not Apple's fault. You know, there's only so much yeah. they can do, and maybe they can do more. But really, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I think it comes back to to us as developers. You know, if you want to succeed, that's that's on you. You know, a, a lot of mm -hmm. businesses are hard. Oh, absolutely. Any any business absolutely you go into. You know, you start a restaurant on the, the corner street. It's not the responsibility of the city council to, to try and get your customers to your restaurant and all that sort of thing. Like, it's it's nice no. if they help you out a bit, but it's really on you to, you know, to see that whatever business you're going to start succeeds. And I think yeah. a lot of developers see, forget about the the marketing side of it. You know, they think that marketing absolutely. is some kind of dirty word that, you know, they should never get involved in. I th yeah, and I think that the problem with the the way the App Store has been perceived is that... What the App Store gives gives developers is it's a, it's a shop front for you to display your wares and they will take care of all the hosting, all the transaction costs, all of the credit card BS. All you need to do is show up and put your wares there and you they'll take a 30% cut and you don't have to worry about anything else. The thing is that the next piece of it, the next piece that developers saw when, when the App Store went live was... Oh, there's not many other people there, so it's also a it's a marketing. The shop fronting is a marketing tool for me as well. Yeah, and exactly. That was not the intent. That was a side effect. So it's okay. It's there now that it's filled with a million plus, like one point two million. The underscore David Smith did the math on this just recently. <laughs> it's a mind blowing number of apps, and obviously the shop front window is still the same size. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, marketing has always been something that anyone in business has always had to do. And 
if I want to run an engineering business and just do control system programming for hire, which believe me, you know, I have considered on and off many times over the years, <laughs> uh, I still have to go and sell my services to somebody. If I want to be small fry and say, okay, I'm just going to work for my mate Bob down the road because he wants me to automate some lathe that he's got or whatever, you know, great, fine. That contract will keep me going for a few weeks and then it's done and then what? Okay, well, I'm going to have to get out there and market myself. I have to I have to tell people, hey, it's me, it's John, I can do stuff for you, come pay me money, that kind of thing. And otherwise, I'm not going to get any business. I'm not going to get any revenue and it'll all fall apart. And apps are absolutely no different. They're no exception. And I think that too many people, as you say, I think lazy is, is to some extent... I think that's a bit brutal. Maybe there is an element of that in there, perhaps with some, some yeah, developers. I, but... I should say it's not... I didn't mean to be mean to them. It's not willful laziness. I think it's they just feel mm. that it's it's not something that they need to do. It's not their responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. They, they'd like, they, they, they want it to be like it was in the beginning when the, sh- the, the store window was a certain size and there weren't that many things on display. Yeah, and exactly. Unfortun- and, and unfortunately, that was never going to last, no matter what the platform. That was never going to last. Well, so, t- sorry, I'll tell you a really, really quick story. So when we first launched Pocket sure. Weather in Australia in 2008, um, we, you know, we worked on this for three months. We put it into the store and we literally did zero marketing. No blog, no write-up, no... We didn't even tell people to release the thing. It went to the new releases and it was number one in the store the next day. And literally all that happened is a few people saw it in the new releases. That pushed it into the top charts. As soon as it was in the top charts... You know, people were browsing that, and up it went to number one for for three weeks. I think. I mean, that that doesn't happen anymore. It's it's not a thing. And I think to expect that to happen is is like you're saying. It's not it's not realistic. That was realistic when there was 300 apps in this virtual shop window, but it's not realistic when there's when there's 1.2 million. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, cool. So um, the next thing I wanted to talk about then, just to change gears slightly, we've talked a little bit about the code and I want to talk a little bit more about the developer tools because one of the things that I uh, I hear this repeated meme time and time again and having, uh, I've, I've, I will admit, yes, I've, I've downloaded some of the, the dev tools for Android. I had a fiddle, but my fiddle was not extensive. So I'm going to, um, yeah, I've spent a lot more time in Xcode than I have uh, on the Android dev tools. So I'm sort of at the point where um, I can only speak to one half of that so best to um, to talk with you about it. And that is everyone... Hang on. I hate saying that. It's a, it's a conversational thing. Everyone thinks this. No, they don't, John. No, no. Uh, the perception I have is that the majority of people are saying that Xcode is a superior uh, development tool environment, like a developer IDE, if you want. And... And that simply means that it's easy to develop on. It's got a lower barrier to entry and it's better. And now I say, however, of course, I recently saw you wrote a piece about Swift and how much you love uh, backtraces and such and debugging. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the quality and usability of the different development tools for each platform and how you'd rank them. Yeah, fair enough. So if you look at it, this is interesting. If you look at it from just a pure... um, IDE, this is the thing that I develop in point of view. Um, Xcode and Google's new thing, Android Studio, that they've been working on, I think for about a year now, they're, they're, they're pretty much comparable. You know, the things you can do in Xcode just as an IDE and the things you can do in Android Studio just as an IDE are, are about the same. You know, they're, they're, they're both just as usable. They're both just as easy to get into. Where it starts to fall apart on the Google end of things is that Xcode is really well integrated into everything else about the system. You know, if you want to 
um, do profiling for example you know you go build profile bang launches on your phone profiler pops up you can profile you know memory use time frames per second anything you want in this really beautiful sort of graphical tool Android Studio doesn't have that you know you want to launch the profile that's a separate process and no offense to anyone that works at Google but they need to improve you know the hell out of that their their profiling tools are just absolutely abysmal and then you look at other things like um, in Xcode now, the interface builder part of it that used to be separate is all integrated in. So you click on your uh, your nib or your zib and uh, suddenly your entire user interface is there. You can drag and drop sort of bits on. You can link things up with code. It's just really, really well integrated. And you go to the Android Studio side of things and they've, they've really made like a, a half-baked effort at building a user interface sort of editor into there. There, there is one in there. It kind of works, but it falls apart so, so quickly. Like, I literally never have I had to go into Xcode and then open my zip files as just pure XML and go and edit them. Like, it's just not a thing. But in Android, you do that. You do that all the time. You end up going to the the XML over the visual editor just because it's it's not good enough. So yeah, it's, it's that two-part thing. Like, Apple has done a much, 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 much better job of getting the whole ecosystem into Xcode. So when you open Xcode, everything is available from there. You know, your profiling, your user interface stuff, yep. your, mm-hmm. even deploying to the App Store. That's all yeah. done from, you know, within Xcode. In Android Studio, devices. yeah, exactly, everything. I mean, that's a topic for another day about how difficult it is to sign <laughs> stuff. You don't have that, that signing <laughs> nightmare in Android. It doesn't exist. Yeah, let's, 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 <laughs> let's not go there. But yeah, it's a bugbear of a lot of iOS developers and Mac developers, that's for sure. And that's the other thing is that Xcode and Apple have, um, they've chose to implement a simulator to do your... Um, your virtual stuff, which basically means your code is running on x86. It's not trying to emulate like an ARM chip. It's actually your code running. It means you can't do some things, but it means it's lightning fast. You go to the Android side of things, and they've gone the opposite. They've gone, no, we're going to build a full-blown emulator. So this thing's going to pr- pretend to be sort of ARM you know, hardware, and it's going to emulate that. That's like dog slow. It can sometimes take like two minutes to launch that thing. You don't even bother with it. You just buy an Android phone, and, and you're done with it. So it's that that level of integration, I guess, that that Google just don't have. I don't know if secretly behind the scenes they're working on it, but really at the moment, if you look at it on the whole, Xcode is just so much better. But if you look at them just as I can edit my code here or I can edit my code there, they're, they're pretty comparable. Okay. And that's, a, that's the thing I think people don't realize. It's the whole integration thing that Apple has that is just miles ahead of anything that Google's done. Yeah. Well, that, that sort of reinforces the my general perception and... I mean, ha- having used a few different uh, IDs over the years, uh, I have to, you know, confess that I love Xcode. <laughs> um, it is just, it's really schmick, and I honestly don't get the, you know, yeah, you know, it was about because uh, when I was doing my development on iOS back when I was doing my crummy little clock, I keep referring to it not particularly fondly as, uh, but anyway, I was doing my crummy little clock, um, <laughs> the iPad. That was about three, four years ago, and that was back when Xcode still had the uh, the build and analyze button, and it still had uh, the three separate uh, windows. Oh, I remember that. Yes. Yeah, and then now it's all integrated into the one. I think that happened about Xcode four at some point. Yeah, Xcode was. four is when they built that. So Xcode three yeah. was was a step backwards in my opinion. Like coming yeah. from all the Java development tools into Xcode three, I felt like a, again, just like Objective C alloc and release and. Mm auto-release, I felt like I was stepping back into the Stone Age. But X Code 4 and, and 5 since then are just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And I've been uh, I've been playing around with the betas and a little bit of uh, a little bit of Swift, not much. Uh, and um, I'm just loving it. And it, it makes me want to, you know, re-release my app, although I don't expect that I get any more. Like, <laughs> I won't get very many downloads this time. 
because um, yeah, it was, I was launching into a practically bare iPad app store at the time, and I knew it, but that's okay. Anyway, long- yeah, there were, were good times. Good times, <laughs> yes. Well, long gone. But anyway, okay. So I want to try and uh, try and wrap this up. But uh, the way I wanted to to do it is look at it purely from a business point of view. So take away all of the emotion, all the cognitive bias, all of your brand loyalty. Just take all of that off the table. And we're now going to say, well, okay, for individuals versus companies. And you look at companies, and this is the, the perfect place to start, is companies will say, well, we need to get our product or service out to as many different people as possible. So it makes sense to support multiple platforms. In fact, it, it probably even you know, pays to support Windows Phone as well. And a lot of larger companies will have apps available for Windows Phone, iOS, as well as for uh, Android. And they they acknowledge the fact that they need to be out there. But then these are generally apps like, you know, things like Foxtel app, for example, for cable TV or... Um, Telstra, no, you know, Telstra's apps or, or whatever, you know, dif- different apps. And I'm, I'm, in the, I'm really drawing bad examples for our North American listeners, but yeah, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of other equivalents. But generally, larger co- corporations will say, well, you know what, we have a, they have a bigger budget, they have you know, the ability to get more staff on that can specialize in the different platforms, and it's a big decision. And when we develop upfront, we know we're going to develop multiple platforms, so we're going to justify that cost and. In R&D environments, you're going to have to justify, okay, well, we expect we're going to get this much percentage users and this much percentage users from this platform and there'll have to be a cutoff and say, well, we're not going to support Tizen or we're not going to support Symbian. Yeah, yay. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Someone supports Symbian still, I'm sure. The thing is that uh, they've got much bigger budgets. So I think that that's why you see more of larger companies' apps across all platforms. But when it comes down to individuals and smaller companies or indie developers like yourselves, but not, you know, but there's still quite a lot of um, developers in your shoes that are just is currently in iOS land, the time and investment getting up to speed on another platform, another platform, learning all the nuances and all its little foibles, that takes time and effort and that's real money that... You know, sometimes you're sailing close to the wind. And I guess one of the things I wanted to ask was in terms of time and money investment in learning Android, did you see that as a as a barrier to getting started? Because obviously, they gave you the phone. So, obviously, there was no hardware upfront cost initially. But in terms of time and effort, did you did you see that? Was that an issue for you, I guess? And if it was, how, how bad of an issue was it? Uh, <clears throat> it was definitely an issue, but the problem is we were, uh, it wasn't that long ago, but we were young and naive. We didn't think it was an issue. You know, we, right. we were both, uh, had Java development backgrounds. We knew the language in and out and we foolishly thought that we, we could port one of our apps in three weeks and, and kind of be done with it. And right. three weeks seems like, you know, no time at all. But in reality, we were very wrong because to, to learn a platform well is going to take you at least six months to a year, maybe not full-time work, but of, of something sort of close to that. And then to support a successful app on a platform is going to take you a lot of work as well. So I guess we didn't think about those things, uh, you know, up front. We're not, we're not as smart as we might appear to be from the outset. We just wanted to do something, you know, different and fun. And I guess we were kind of pushed into it. But it, taking like a 50-foot a view and zooming out, it was really probably a good year before we learnt sort of the, the proper way to build Android apps. I guess our first few attempts were not were not that great. 
And so if it's going to take you roughly a year to to learn how to do something well, then yeah, if you're you're an independent developer, you kind of have to think, is, is that actually worth my time? And I think the other thing about indie developers is uh, companies don't generally have, you know, a preference for languages. They don't have things that, you know, a company by its nature can't enjoy or not enjoy doing something. It's just made up of a bunch of employees. So if a company says we're going you know, Windows Phone, BlackBerry, Android and iPhone, that's what they do. They hire people, they get it done, you know, they do it, whatever. You as an individual, I mean, the whole point some people become independent is so they can do something that they love. And if they feel like that Android development is like death to them, then, you know, they're not going to do it. And they're not going to do it even if it makes, you know, really good business sense because, I mean, it comes back to something like, for example, I could go out and become you know, a, a Java consultant or an iOS consultant, I could probably earn like 300 bucks an hour without sort of breaking too much of a sweat. And that's nothing, nothing even close to what I earn now. I earn way, way, way less than that. But it's not something that I want to do. You know, I would I would find that really painful. And I think that's how some people feel about, um, you know, trying to jump to either side of the fence. So I know Android developers um, who do exclusively Android development, they're like, oh, I don't want to learn this Objective-C stuff and I don't want to learn Xcode and I don't want to learn that. It's just like another world to me. Like, I wouldn't enjoy it. Mm. And I know heaps of iOS developers who feel the same. They're like, oh, I don't want to install Android Studio. I don't want to learn Java. I don't want to learn about, you know, activities and fragments and how to build Android user interfaces. It's not it's not what I'm passionate about. So yeah. I get that. I get that completely. I think from a business point of view, if you're talking about um, building a sustainable sort of independent development business. Us going to Android was crucial to that. We literally would not be here today had we not jumped onto the Android platform at the time that we did. So I don't know that we were thinking that way at the time, but it turned out to be incredibly good you know, business sense. And maybe as a lot of iOS developers are starting to discover now, being locked into just one platform and not having the flexibility to, mm-hmm. to be on both can, can be really painful business-wise. And thank you because that is exactly where I wanted to go with this. And that is the point is that we have two massive, I mean, enormous platforms out there for mobile. Mobile. <laughs> I almost said it in a different language then. I meant, yes. Cellular. Uh, cellular. Yes. Okay. Anyhow. But yes, indeed. So you've got two enormous platforms. You're a developer. You have an idea and it's a great idea. You're going to just stick with the one platform. The thing is, obviously, in your case, and I think your case is is a, is a good example of how it can work because you've got a specialist in one and a specialist in the other, but you are, have the capability to step into the other person's camp to help out as needed. And I think that's a great way of doing it. Whereas if you're one developer, keeping it all straight in your head and, and supporting two different platforms, uh, programs at the same time, that would be extremely difficult. Not impossible, but certainly more difficult. So if you are going to tackle it and everyone's saying, well, the gold rush is over on iOS and it's all the, you know, Apple's, just all the things that we've already talked about, all the reasons why people feel that it's not working out for them. Well, maybe people should be considering a, have, supporting another platform. You know, maybe that is an option or maybe shifting your focus from one platform to the other. And I'm not advocating one way or the other. All I'm advocating is that people look at it from a business point of view and think to themselves, I want to be successful. I want to do this. Uh, I don't want to have to, you know, work for the man, quote unquote. I want to be a free agent. Honestly, based on everything you've said and what I've seen, both platforms have got lots of really great things going for them. And if you dive into them and give it a chance, it sounds like you can be just as successful on either platform. And honestly, 
<laughs> when you just said before that when you got on, when you got on, uh, you are now where you are with uh, because of going on Android. Well, I mean, that's very heartening to hear. And it's certainly not the meme that goes around. And everyone says you can't make money on the Android app market. And it simply apparently is, is not true. Yeah. And I, again, I can only speak from my experience. You know, I haven't sort of surveyed a, a thousand different developers to find out what the the average experience is, but that's definitely been our case. Like these days, it's 80% of all our money comes from <clears throat> from the Android platform. Well, see, the thing is that the thing that gets me though, Russell, is that if you've got an app store and it's got 100,000 apps in them and 99,000 of those apps are rubbish, then all you have to be is the best in that top thousand. And... You know, the numbers don't matter. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. It doesn't matter. The point is that, as you had said previously, if you put the time and effort in into, into making a good quality app for Android, then there is no reason why it can't succeed. And I think that perhaps people are looking at it as, as a, treating it a bit as a second-class citizen and saying, well, I will just port this stuff over and I will just sort of like hack it together and, oh, it didn't work out. So, you know, hey, they were right about Android. Whereas your proof that that does not have to be the case and yeah and exactly s- and i think we're proof of both like when we tried yeah, sure. porting our applications we we failed miserably you know the, the ported versions um with the same user interfaces as their ios sort of counterparts they sold terribly so i think what people don't realize about android and this is something i try and drill home to uh to ios developers as well is that there are way more android phones than ios devices but that doesn't mean that the market is is way bigger so the way we look at it is Take the Android market as a whole, right? Worldwide, it's X amount bigger than iOS. Like, who cares what that amount is? You you literally shave off half those people and you ignore them. All the people that are on, you know, really, really cheap Android phones, all the people that still run Android 2, all these weird sort of edge cases, you can just completely ignore that segment of the market. Like, and just look at the people who have, you know, Android 4.0 and above. And in there, you have sort of two camps of people. You have the really diehard um, enthusiast sort of Android people that will buy... They'll buy an app at any price. You know, if they see a good quality app that they want, you know, they'll literally give you money like a second later. There no problems at all there. And then you have the other side of the market, which is just, you know, ordinary people who walk into a phone store and they look at the phones and they're like, okay, I can get this, you know, Samsung Galaxy S5 or whatever for 20 bucks a month less than my iPhone. Okay, I'll grab that. And so we kind of just target those two groups of people and ignore everyone else. And then I have no science to back this up whatsoever, but I think that... (laughs) That segment of the market is probably as big as the iOS market, you know, as a whole. So I think the people we target with iOS 7, which is 90% of the iOS market, is probably just as big as the the half of the Android market that the we kind of target our app towards. So there's no reason that, you know, other developers can't do the same. I think you need to ignore, you know, all the stats that you see of Android as a whole because you see all these stats and they're like, oh, you know, 30% of people still run Android 2.3. And to me, I don't care about these people. Like, it's not that... You know, I think they've made bad decisions or, you know, I want to slap them or anything like that. You know, they're on that device for whatever reason, but you don't need those people to succeed. You can just target the people with the more modern phones where your development experience is going to be a lot better and you'll still, you know, sell a truck ton of apps if you do a good job. Cool. So I guess the learnings to take away from this uh, discussion is um, if you're going to do an app, for goodness sake, Except the fact you're going to be doing some marketing, doesn't matter what platform you're on. Second thing is, if you're going to uh, develop an app, do consider all of your options. Don't just stick with one platform because either it's what you know, it's what you really enjoy. Try try the other platforms. You never know, you might actually enjoy them too. 
and Java has been around and a lot of people know Java. So, you know, and if anything, Objective-C would seem to have the higher, the, the bigger learning curve, I would suggest. But in any case, and be aware of your own cognitive bias and the fact that uh, being invested in a platform is not always the best approach. And um, I think uh, in the end, just make the best app that you can because that will drive your success more that plus the marketing will drive your success more than the specific platform that you put it on, at least uh, between Android and iOS. At least that's I would say that's the case. So, what do you think? Think that's uh, yeah. And I, I think I'd add to that is is don't expect success. You know, success in both app stores is is really hard. You have to put in a lot of work and and effort. If you come into it expecting any sort of immediate success, then you're probably going to fail. You know, 99 times out of 100 with with that sort of expectation. I mean. That does sound a bit brutal, but that's that's kind of how the, the landscape is at the moment. Expect the worst, but hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. Like definitely don't sort of expect to sell nothing and kind of, you know, do everything with that in mind. It's You want to be successful, but don't expect success to just, you know, appear on day one of, of your app coming out. Awesome. Cool. Well... Might uh, might leave it there. I think uh, if you'd like to if you'd like to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi. That's J O H N C H I D G E Y. Check out my writing at techdistortion.com. If you'd like to send any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website, and that's where you'll also find the show notes for the episode under podcasts. Pragmatic. You can follow Pragmatic Show on Twitter to see show announcements and miscellaneous other stuff. I'd really like to thank my guest host Russell Ivanovich for coming on today and sharing all that. Um, it's been wonderful. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Rusty Shelf on Twitter is who I am, just a one word. And obviously, uh, shiftydaily.com is where you find all the apps that we make. And I apologize for both my Australian accent and the cold that I've currently got. Hopefully, you're, you could still understand me. You're not allowed to apologize for having an Aussie accent, mate. That's just why. Why? <laughs> is it, is it, it, our Stroke, accent mate. rocks. Okay, according to all the most of the women that I talked to when I was in Canada, they said that um, that Australian accent was awesome. So you know, what can I say? Anyway, I'm not, I'm not apologising for my accent. Okay, so fine. Uh, anyway, look, <clears throat> back on track. I'd personally like to thank Many Tricks also for sponsoring the show today. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember to specifically visit this URL: manytricks or one word dot com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps and use the discount code PRAGMATIC25 for 25% off the total price of your order. Hurry, it is only for a limited time and time is running out on that one, so get in while you can. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Russell, and thanks for listening, everybody. No worries at all. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. <laughs>